Welcome to Last Chance Theater. I'm Justin. And I'm Laura. This episode we're going to be talking about Heathers. It's my first time ever seeing this movie, and that's kind of our thing here, is that uh, there's a lot of movies that I probably should have seen, um, and I haven't seen. It's a problem. And Laura is kind of introducing me to these movies, and uh, we're going to talk about them one at a time here on this show. So Heathers is... It's a classic film, but it's one that makes a lot of people very uncomfortable, so you aren't alone in not having seen it, I think. It's from before my time, really. I was alive. Like, I was still, like, three when it came out, and so I wouldn't have seen it in the moment. And I've heard it discussed as a comparison to mostly Mean Girls, which I I get it, but I don't get it at the same time because they're not the same movie at all. Mean Girls takes a lot from Heather's. Um, I can see that. It, without Heather's, Mean Girls never never would have been a thing. The thing I did was I was watching it and I put a Facebook status up and said that this is not the movie I thought it was going to be. Like I was expecting a completely different movie. So I'm Pearson, what were you expecting? Um, well, because of the Mean Girls comparison, I was expecting something... Um, not really a derivative, but what things were derived from. Because I've seen a lot of movies where there's, you know, a kind of school queen and someone's trying to unseat her. And so I was thinking we were going that route. And we get to a certain point where it could have gone that route. And it was like, oh, she meets the boy and it could go this route. But then all of a sudden it takes a hard left and you're like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for, but I like it. And um, that's kind of how it went down. And, you know, this is all coming on the tail end of Stranger Things, which I watched last week. And so seeing, like, little Winona Ryder was kind of weird for me. Like, it was like, this is, she's, like, weirdly young. This isn't little Winona Ryder. Like, if you've seen her in other stuff, like Beetlejuice and things like that that came before. This made me want to watch Beetlejuice really bad. I'll say that, like, right now. (laughs) But you seem to have a lot of thoughts about Winona Ryder's character. I mean, do you have any thoughts about her at the beginning that you... Oh, well, I mean, it's very interesting. I i don't know if you pulled out the reference that her name is Veronica and her former best friend is named Betty. Betty. I actually have a note on and that. And they're a blonde and a brunette. And that, that's obviously on purpose. Um, I hope But it to was. me, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting to me that the movie jumps in with Veronica having already been established as part of the popular group. Usually in a lot of teen movies, you'll have, like even in Mean Girls, you'll have the buildup to the main character becoming part of that group and then having the ensuing drama and fallout from that. But in Heather's, she's definitely is already part of that at the beginning of the movie. She's already doing what the Heather's ask her to do. She already sits with them at lunch. She's already abandoned her friends and it's kind of just status quo up until she meets JD. And I kind of like that they did start off with her sort of being in the group but not really like buying into what they are doing exactly. Yeah, which is which is another interesting thing. Like she's completely aware of how terrible these girls are, and she has resigned herself to being okay with it because it keeps her above everybody else at the school. I don't know if it's a survival mechanism necessarily, but it's something where you can see she's it's calculated, and that's she's playing into it. I'm going to be honest, and I hope they never listen to this, but I did the same thing she did with girls at my school in high school. 
uh, I didn't really hang out with very many people. And there were some girls that were a little bit like above everybody else in our grade. And I just kind of sat by them and hung around with them because if you were over there, they were going to talk about you. They were talking about everybody else. And so I just kind of listened to their gossip and, you know, ate over there by them. And I mean, I can see why she would totally do that because it keeps you safe because you're not a target when you're over there assisting, you know. But I mean, interestingly enough, as the movie goes, being popular is what makes you a target as it goes on. Later, later in the movie, Veronica is, she's the target of a lot of rumors when the jocks spread lies about the sword fighting in her mouth stuff. And <laughs> so it's not even safe necessarily to be popular as a, as a woman. It's not really safe in this movie, I would think, especially. I mean, I think that's a common thing. I think that there's like a, it's it's like a sort of like easy a dichotomy where there's like a girl who she's popular because people think she does things she doesn't do and then guys will buy into that and kind of fuel the rumors to make themselves look better and so you know if she wasn't popular it wouldn't really be a target like you say because there wouldn't be any you know like value to saying you did this with this girl there's the fact that you know heather duke spreads things about heather mcnamara about two-thirds of the way through the movie, to pull her down so that she can kind of be in charge of the school. Yeah, it's like a power vacuum thing going on. And I really want to talk about, I want to talk about Heather Duke because I think it's amazing we've gone, you know, this many minutes into this thing and no one said Shannon Doherty yet because that was the craziest thing to me. It took me about five minutes to see it with her because it just, in my head, the red hair threw me off completely. And, she doesn't uh, have red hair. It's pretty red. It's brown. <laughs> it, I don't know. Like, I was watching with somebody else, and they were like, oh, he's got red hair in this. And I, I kind of saw it that way, too. Maybe our TV's color is off. No. I don't know. You guys are confused. <laughs> we're confused. You're very confused. It's definitely I mean, brown hair. It's definitely not the color hair I'm used to her see, seeing her with. Like, you know, it was always like a darker black kind of thing she had going on. and um, Right. And seeing her in a role like this was kind of like, it was kind of weird. It was, it was weird and neat for me um, because she's, she, well, there's three actors that are super familiar faces, Christian Slater, Ryder, and Doherty. And um, Christian Slater um, made me so upset. His eyebrows made me upset. His earring made me upset. <laughs> um, his like fake Jack Nicholson uh, impression made me upset. Uh, well, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's who he based his character on, right? Like, he I very saw specifically that. was going after a Jack Nicholson impression. I saw that later, but it was just like, when I saw it in the moment, I was like, oh, he's doing like a Jack Nicholson impression. Like, this is weird for me. His character makes me, like, super uncomfortable. Uh, he reminds me a lot of my first high school boyfriend. <laughs> so this, this movie, like, I love it, but it also really, really creeps me out. Oh, he made out. you murder people? Well, not with the killing people, obviously, but that boyfriend did, like, when I broke up with him, he did threaten to kill himself, and he just was also weirdly intense and had just some weird family issues that kind of fueled a lot of things about him. I so, mean, I have just, a lot That character of, just really makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I I think that it's also, like, I I had a thought during this movie, like, halfway through, I was like... This movie is better if you present, pretend in your mind that um, JD is the devil. Like he's like for like 
a good what? portion of the movie, it feels like like because he's like tempting her into doing all these things, and then after that, like I was kind of like, oh, he won't be a part of her imagination or something like Tower Durden. Is that, is that where this is going? But it wasn't well, obviously that no because other people have talked to him earlier in the movie. Yeah, but it could have been one of those things where they're speaking to her and she's just acting out because she wants to be. You mean people be... that are going, oh, his name is Jason. <laughs> I don't know. It was just, it, it felt like he was almost like a made up character because I, in my head, I tried to rationalize how the movie wasn't actually taking place. Like it was like an American psycho sort of thing where she's imagining all That's this. That's weird. Why would you do that? Well, the reason you said earlier that this is a movie that is uncomfortable for a lot of people, and I wasn't uncomfortable with it. I thought it was hilarious. But at the same time, a movie that's like this feels like it's surreal. Like it's a surrealism that you don't usually get in a high school movie with high school kids. Like it wouldn't fly today. Like the stuff they were doing just would not fly. What I really like about these older 80s movies is that even though I'm not like really down with 80s stuff that much, they use actual teenagers to play teenage roles. And that's so rare now that when it's done, people act like it's wrong or something. Like when a real teenager plays a teenage well, role. They weren't all teenagers. They Some of them were in their 20s. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, Ryder yeah. was young. She was like 18 in this, 17. She wasn't super young. Um She's obviously younger in like Beetlejuice and stuff yeah, like that. She's like 16 in that. But some of the Heathers were in their 20s. Oh, really? Slider is 20. I know that. Um, what were your thoughts on the Heathers then? I'm curious. Well, so for a good 20 minutes of the movie, I somehow imagined there were four of them. I don't know how this happened, but there was a fourth header that didn't exist in my head. That well, I just... it's because Veronica is technically a Heather. Um, yeah, she does the color coordinated outfits just like they do. Uh, she wears blue, which I ha- I think that there's a lot of significance to the colors that they wear, obviously. But she she is the fourth Heather. The the actual Heather is just to keep keep on topic with that. I I, I feel like they really kind of gave McNamara a short end of the stick because he seemed like she was like featured less. I guess because early in the movie, Heather Chandler kind of takes all the gusto out of the film. And she gets all the best lines. She gets the uh, the chainsaw line. Well, that's because she's she, she's head bitch. Like it's she started it. Like the funny thing is that the chainsaw line I was reading was actually Doherty's line, and she was uncomfortable with the cursing, which is just shocked me about. Yeah, her. she she grew up in a very conservative family, so she struggled with some of the profanity, which is why usually when she has any profane lines, she's kind of giggling or smirking. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Um, but like she got that line early on and that was like, that was the line where I was like, whoa. And then she, she was like the leader, obviously. And then what I liked about her was that this movie had a kind of like honest vulgarity that you don't usually see in like high school teen movies. Like a lot of the times with At least attributed to girls. Yeah. Like with, with, with boys, um, there was like a time in the eighties for some reason where like, young boys like 13 year old boys in movies were just like saying like curse words constantly and they were like making weird gay slurs at each other but when you look at women in the same roles in the same type of movie they weren't doing that and so to see it from a movie like this even though they're a little older it was still pretty neat to see women like acting like real women sometimes act and then uh Heather McNamara, I don't have any thoughts on her. I don't know why, I just don't. <laughs> and Heather Duke, um, there's like a weird transformation there. Like I said, the power vacuum thing happens, and she kind of she kind of lets JD like 
push her into trying to take over things. And um, she was the one I expected to be the smaller role. Like I expected the two blonde Heathers to be the bigger ones. And I was kind of like, oh, Doherty's just here, but she's a small role in this. When in all honesty, she kind of takes over and becomes a bigger part of the main cast. Um, And then with Heather Duke, I think that there's, you can see it early on that she is a little, she's a little bit like Veronica. She's, she's smart. Like you can see, she's always reading in the early scenes when they show mm-hmm. her. And I think like Veronica, she's very smart. She understands that she needs to be popular, to be safe, to have status. But her approach is a lot more Machiavellian, I think, in that she's willing to push people out of her way. Like she does with Heather McNamara. And she wasn't able to do that with Heather Chandler. Yeah, I think it was one of those, um, those like, not really star screaming, that's a bad example. But one of those things where there's, you know, you're, you're kind of like by the sidelines waiting for the other person to like crumble. And you know you can't like take them on your own. And you can't get anyone to gang up and help you. But once they're gone, like once they're removed from the picture, you have a clear shot at like taking the throne. And... I think she kind of knew that. And that's what you're like talking about that when she realized there was like no one up there. Um, I think she probably also kind of worried Veronica would take it. Like, I think that she thought, Oh, in the I totally think that. Yeah. In the immediate aftermath, I think she was like, Oh, she'll take over this position from Veronica me. was the only one who ever stood up to Heather Chandler. She was the only one that ever was on her level, but Veronica just never had the interest in being the popular bitch. I think that Heather also the Heather Chandler also was supposedly rich. And it confused me because they go to her bedroom at one point. She has a full bed. I was like, A full bed, really? Like full? Like, that's the, like, not richest thing ever. <laughs> like, if you were rich, you'd have a big bed, you know? And I was she obsessed. She has with... a huge room, though. She's got a couch and she's got a table and she's she's got a lot of stuff. Just because she has a full bed doesn't mean she's I, not rich. I fixated on that full bed for a while. And, and there's other things I fixated on that, oddly enough, I Googled them and I couldn't find shit about it. I, like, searched all over the place. Like, I was waiting in the movie for, like, a reference to be made. I don't know why JD and his dad live in a gym. Like his dad has like six weight bars in the background when you can only use <laughs> they one don't at a time. Live in a gym. He just has a lot of weight equipment. And okay, so explain their VCR and their record player being a rock. What the fuck was that? Like that it's was a, a weird... facade. It was something that you would you'd put over your electronics. Oh. Well, I wrote a note for JD's dad and I was like, I bet JD's dad's character note says sleeps on a waterbed. Because that was the that, that was the first <laughs> impression I got. I was like, this man has a waterbed in his room. Like, he went out and got a waterbed when they first got popular, and he kept it until the 90s when, you know, they started to burst and people knew it was a stupid idea. Well, his dad is completely juvenile. He is someone who never grew out of being a teenager. He's all about blowing shit up and working out and talking to his son like his son is the dad. It was the weirdest thing. Like, they were, like, doing this role reversal, and I was like, what? are you guys doing right now like what's what's happening with this that's one of the things that still like kind of baffles me about this movie like i understand that it's supposed to like show that they're really fucked up relationship but it's just so bizarre (laughs) because they keep it up throughout the whole movie you could probably do like a weird analysis on jd's character alone and i think that a lot of it is just like they were trying to show that whole the parent that acts like a friend thing whether he's not disciplining him or making him follow any sort of rules. I would take that like one step further, though, and say that not only is his dad not disciplining him, but he's giving him too much leeway 
and allowing JD to make the rules. And I'd also say that it's probably one of those things where JD is probably a, a smart enough kid and a careful enough kid that the things he does wrong aren't the kind of things that would trigger his dad looking into what he's doing. And so he manages himself well enough, but he's also not supervised. So he is getting into trouble. And, you know, he sneakily, like the gun thing in the beginning of school, like that was the weirdest thing because I was watching with someone else. And when that happened, we're like, oh, it's a dream sequence. But they're like, oh, no, it's not a dream sequence. This is like really happened. Like he pulls this gun out and fires blanks at somebody. That was like one of the things where I was like, today there would just be, there would be people up in arms about it because, you know. That is one thing too about this movie is that it came out before school shootings were kind of everyday news. Like, yeah, it came out, I wouldn't say in a sweet spot, but it came out in a time where that just, that wasn't a complete concern. And so it was really weird that you have this happening in the movie. It's like that sweet spot between um, us being scared of the Russians and us being scared of school shootings and terrorism is where this movie kind of fell into. The gun at the beginning was the school shooting thing where I was like, oh, man, that wouldn't fly today. And then at the end of the movie, there's basically a suicide bomb vest. And I was like, oh, that definitely wouldn't fly today. Like not in a comedy like that would get you in huge trouble. Or it would at least get you talked about. Like, you would, I mean, they won't pull your movie out of theaters for that, but people would definitely react Well, badly. the thing is, you're going to have trouble finding funding for your movie today if you have that content. True. People react to things now. Like, they react to things fast because of Twitter. People can react and say that they don't want this thing or that thing, and it makes studios wary of funding a thing that might not make money. Well, yeah, because... it's, Hollywood doesn't, they don't They don't take risks. When you have material that is borderline offensive, you're not going to make a mainstream movie about it. It didn't make me uncomfortable, because I don't really get uncomfortable about things like that, but it made me kind of go, oh man, this would just never fly today. And then... There's a funeral scene, the second funeral scene, because the first one is kind of just a funeral. But the second funeral scene really baffled me, and this is why it took me almost three hours to watch, because there's a song playing on organ in the background. The song sounds so familiar, and I was humming it and like trying to figure out what words I know go to it, and I played it like at least 20 times. And then I finally stopped doing that and went on YouTube and looked the song up and listened to it over and over, and I could not figure out what it was. Like The YouTube comments don't say anything about it. The name of the song on the album is just like Second Funeral Song, and I know I I've heard it somewhere like either someone got that song later on and sampled it or something I, that means nothing to me so i mean like i could let you hear it but it's like it is something where i'm like oh this is a song i know like and i even played it for other people and they're like yeah it sounds really familiar but it's playing on an organ so you can't like sound hound it and then it, there's no words and it really bothers me and i had to just let it go because i was like I was like, maybe Laura knows what this is because I have to let this go because if I don't, I'll be up all night like searching for this stupid song. No, I mean, if it was meant to be a reference to something, that would have been in the credits. I don't think it was a reference. I honestly think that the song uh, was sampled by someone else later. I don't know. It really bothered me, though. Like, usually I can figure it out within like 10 minutes. (laughs) That's a really weird thing to be bothered about. Like, of all the things in this movie, to like just focus on that is very strange. I mean, I have a good reason why. Like, we have the internet and Google. So typically when you can't figure out who an actor is or what a song is or whatever you can right. just go on google and look them up but, but, but that's the, just that's still such a weird thing to just like keep looking up like when you're not finding anything but you have to understand that like 18 years almost i haven't had to look up anything that i couldn't just find an answer to so to, to find something like that i was like oh no it's happening that, that's just that's strange <laughs> <laughs> well you know i'm strange so i don't know why you're acting like this is some kind of surprise to you The Betty and Veronica reference you made earlier, we didn't really talk about Betty because Betty is not really super important, but I was obsessed with Betty because I was like, oh, Betty's kind of cute. 
Like, what's her deal? And then I looked up who the actress was, and it's Charlie Sheen's sister? I didn't know he even yeah. had a sister. Yeah, it's Renee Estevez. Yeah, I mean, people were confused by that, because the Estevez thing, and him and Emilio, and Sheen, the dad, and, and like, people don't realize that, like, they're the same family. Like, I've had people be like, oh, they, they're the same family? I'm like, yeah, they're... Most, I thought most people knew that. Most people I know know that. I think that it's... It's common knowledge in some circles, but I think that if you're not paying attention to the Charlie Sheen drama and Martin Sheen and stuff like that, it can kind of pass you by. Like to, to me, that's not really a big deal. Like she's not someone that's had a huge career, so yeah, she definitely hasn't. Um, I feel like she she and has a really small. Betty part as a movie, character but. truly means nothing other than what Veronica used to be in some respects. And what she could have been had she not been a Heather. Betty is the barb of the movie. After she kind of reconnects with Veronica the one time to play croquet, she disappears from the movie because everything else is Martha Dunstock. And so she gets used frequently throughout the movie, but Betty just kind of disappears. The croquet thing, I was like, these girls are obsessed with croquet. Well, croquet is a very competitive game because you, a lot of times you end up having to knock people out of the way, which is a larger metaphor for the movie. Oh, wow. See, like, I'm shocked that, uh, I guess you, you've either played croquet, croquet or know something about it. Well, it's, and... it's used in, like, Alice in Wonderland and things like that. But it's just, it's it's an old game, and it's one where you, you get to knock other people out of the way so that you can score because you get points for knocking people out of the way. It's not always the fastest way to win, which is why Veronica makes a point about how that's not how she wants to win, but it is one way to win. That makes more sense now because there's the whole reference to her saying, like, the foreshadowing of her being like, I don't want to win that way. But then she totally starts doing that. Like, she starts knocking competition out of the way and not necessarily taking their place because we haven't really discussed the two boys that she got rid of. Those guys are pretty horrible. Like, I remember they're going to go cow tipping. Which is terrible. Like, that's like animal abuse. But anyway, they go to the field to go cow tipping. And I think that's the same scene where the one boy is trying to make out with this girl on the ground. He, no, he, he, he straight up date rapes her. Like, that's, okay, that's, that's what I thought. Because, because you can see it later on when Veronica leaves her to go hang out with JD. Yeah. Um, Heather is, is basically being date raped. And Veronica does absolutely zero things about it. And this is a critique that I have for Veronica and JD. Is that they act like they're doing the school of service by getting rid of all these bullies and you know trying to make it a better place but every time they're actually in the face of that bullying they do nothing about it they just go along with it and yeah like that's the thing is that she she kind of just goes up that fence and she leaves with jd and and the girls in the background flailing around and i actually just thought that they were i don't know i, I at first i thought okay this is just like a weird looking scene because it's so far away but then a friend of mine's walking through the room and he's like is that girl getting raped and then I, in my head it clicked i was like oh yeah that's totally what's happening here like that's not meant to be weird looking thing like that's what's going on and right she doesn't do anything about it and jd doesn't do anything about it and they they totally could have said something or done something they take care of the the two boys that are involved after the fact but in the moment they don't care to help the other girl and there's so much going on where they could have done something earlier and as it gets more jd jd kind of preaches this message of we're trying to stop these he bad people but he doesn't do anything. He thinks to stop he's them. the moral authority, but he's obviously very flawed in that, in that he thinks it's okay to kill people. <laughs> uh, oh, it's not just that. It's also that he he lies to Veronica openly to get her to go along with things. And in a way, you're like, well, he's already killed one person. So when he gives Veronica a gun and says it's full of blanks, 
first of all, like, let's just get this straight. Blinks are fatal. <laughs> I mean, okay, so with Veronica, do you find her sympathetic? Do you find her to be a good person? I think she learns to be a good person. Throughout the movie, I don't find her to be a good person. Because a lot of what we've just talked about where she does nothing. She thinks that she is being a good person, but she's not. <laughs> she doesn't follow through on any of the things that she says that she wants. And she has to know that the things that JD is planning are not okay. Starting with, you know, when Heather Chandler is killed, uh, that was technically an accident from Veronica's perspective, but she continues to allow him to play violent pranks. And with the thing with the bullets that he tells her are just going to make you bleed. (laughs) Like the name of the bullets in German means I'm lying. So she had bothered to do like any research or even think about it more than just beyond the moment. She would know he's fucking with me. These are real bullets. He doesn't lie very well about it. Like, he's like, you let him get away. And then goes and chases him. And she's still acting like it doesn't matter. I was going to ask you, like, do you think that it was that he lied to her and she believed it? Or do you think it was that he lied to her and she was just like, I'm going to use that as my excuse to do this bad thing because I want to do it. But if if he lied to me, quote unquote, I have like a plausible deniability. I think she subconsciously knew that he was lying to her and she was okay with it. She chose to believe it. She didn't really care what actually happened. Yeah, they've never shown her to be stupid before that. Right, she's actually very smart and she talks about her high IQ. So for her to fall kind of prey to these really stupid lines from JD is either an insult to her character being, you know, in love with him or it's that she truly does kind of want to go along with it. And... And the the love thing was kind of like he was trying to find someone at the school who was in a position that he could latch on to and use because the moment that she kind of dumped him off, he goes right to Heather Duke and is like, oh, I'm going to be your friend now and we're going to do this stuff and we're going to do this petition. To to an extent, but I think part of the reason he goes to Heather Duke is because he wants to hurt Veronica. I think that's him lashing out more than needing a person because I truly don't think he needs anybody. I think he's obviously just fine on his own from his perspective, Um, which says a lot. There's a lot of things wrong with him, obviously. I mean, I feel like he might've needed an accomplice. No, he, he didn't. He never needed an accomplice. He just, I think he cared about Veronica, but in a very destructive way, he thought that he could control her. And when she didn't respond to being controlled very well and she dumped him, he kind of lost it. I think that it was also partially that he's not a part of that world. Like he comes to the school, you know, mid-year or whatever, and he can't really, he's convincing to certain types of people, but when he comes up to, you know, a jock or something, he can't make them do what he wants them to do. So he got somebody to help him who could do those things, Heather Duke or Veronica. But I mean, yeah, I guess the the lashing out of Veronica makes sense too. Well, I mean, I I don't think that he came to the school planning to kill anybody i think for him that was a happy accident that he decided to repeat okay i could see that like the first death was honestly in veronica's part a not only a mistake because she didn't do anything she just said you know she left him downstairs and he of course pours the juice in there and and not juice pours the uh i think it was drain cleaner in there and no brings it. they were making out and she grabbed the wrong one by mistake Oh, and he goes okay. to tell her about it, and then he, he just says, oh, no, I'll come with you. But instead of telling her that she grabbed the wrong one. Like, it was still a mistake on her part, because she didn't mean to, to grab the wrong container, and he let her do it. Right. No, it was, it was obviously an accident for Veronica, and it 
And it was to an extent an accident for JD, but it was one that he was okay with once he realized what was happening. It was like an accident of omission where he was like, well, she did this on mistake and I noticed it, but I'm going to let it play out and see what happened. And even then, like once the, the omission ended, once they got to the room, because he actively pushes Heather Chandler to drink it. And when she doesn't drink it, he kind of goads her into it. It's not like he couldn't have stopped it at that point or said something or stopped her before she like actually put it to her face. Or just not, you know, let her do it. No, like, but he, without, you know, them sleeping together, he never would have been in the position to have that happen. Yeah. So I don't think he was ever setting out to kill anybody initially. But once he realized that he had fun with it and that he enjoyed it, I think that's when he wanted more. He definitely, like, embodies, like, a sociopath, it looks like. Right, and it's, and it's something that you see with his dad as well, with his dad taking so much joy out of blowing buildings up. And they make reference to J.D.'s mother being in one of those buildings because she didn't want to live with jd's father anymore and his dad was okay with blowing his wife up yeah that was weird for me like i i felt like they were trying to explain why jd was so fucked up and that was like their explanation was that he had kind of lost somebody and i don't think they ever made it to just specifically that but i mean i mean obviously i think that is definitely a part of it like his mother choosing to die <laughs> overspending time with him or raising him or getting him away from his father, she kind of chose to abandon them and left him with a terrible, terrible person as a parent. The dad came off to me as just kind of like the creepy old man who just kind of goes after like younger girls and works out a lot and, you know, drives a nice car, has a great job. And it felt like that, it felt like without them really showing any of that stuff to me, that they were trying to say that that's what he spends his time paying attention to. And, you know, as long as JD is fed and at home occasionally, he's okay with whatever JD is doing because JD is not interrupting his fun or whatever. Right. As long as he gets to blow stuff up and his son is, seems to be okay, he's he's fine. I had another thing about the clothes in this movie, which we, we touched on earlier. And uh, the first thing I thought about that was during the uh, during one of the many croquet games that happens in this film, I thought that the Heathers and Veronica were dressed like uh, like real estate agents almost. Like they were like all these like kind of blazers. Well, and that's that's the late 80s, early 90s <laughs> style. <laughs> so the blossom hats. Like, the, the most specific thing to me is the colors. You've got Heather Chandler in red, the power color. Um, you've got Heather McNamara in yellow, which is the really passive color. And you've got Heather Duke in green, which is very envious. And then you've got Veronica in kind of the neutral blue, and she tones it down with a lot of black and grays. Especially as the movie goes on, she's in a lot more black and gray than she is blue. But she she still embraces the Heather's color coding. <laughs> With her blue tights and blue skirts and stuff. The blue tights were there a lot. There's also a coat she wears like twice. And it's like a coat made out of, made out of a bunch of other coats. It's like one sleeve looks like this. And like the middle looks like that. <laughs> and I was like obsessed with that coat. I'm just, I'm really like, I fixate on people's clothes in movies sometimes. Because they're, they, they get so outlandish in some instances. And JD actually, it's funny because JD's clothes to me didn't look very 80s. They looked more grunge and 90s style stuff. And I guess it's close to the 90s at that point. But <laughs> To me, his clothes scream I'm a psychopath because he's got the long duster. <laughs> he just wears all black. <laughs> and it's like, if I knew that kid in high school, I'd be like, that kid's lost it. Like, I don't want to hang out with him. Uh, oh, like, it, it's funny because, you know, we, we're talking, we're looking back at something from a time after Columbine, after all these things. Right. But when I was in high school, there was a kid, he like would mumble to himself and stuff and he wore a trench coat to school every day. 
and yeah, there were, were kids like that ups- at my high school too, and they were weird. <laughs> yeah, people were upset by it, and you know the school couldn't really necessarily do anything. Like, what are you going to say? Like, oh, you can wear a coat like that here, but at the same time, like it was creepy. We had a we had a school policy against trench coats at some point. Yeah, I think that because we weren't in a district, we were a Catholic school, we didn't have that same policy. But I mean, I could see how a public school would just squash that out because public schools are all about like don't do these things they're going to threaten anybody or make anybody mm-hmm. feel threatened. Well, and, so there's one kid that I'm thinking of, he would he brought it in his jacket or in his backpack so he would wear it like to and from school and like on the bus and stuff, but then he would obviously change out of it at school. But you are in the north you're in seattle and i'm down here in texas so a trench coat up there makes a little more sense down here it was you know we have two months summer and spring and so like if you're wearing a coat like it's the mornings and stuff he wore this trench coat all day but i mean here it's very unusual to see a man in a full length trench coat that's very bizarre <laughs> especially like a le- dark leather one like that's just that's not normal for here even though we have cooler weather your guy was fancy our guy had like one of those like kind of khaki uh material oh no our guy black. just he, he shopped at like hot topic <laughs> that's a thing that we both latch on to because we we grew up in a time like that and so when you look back at jd he does look like that but also, his clothes are too big for him, which I don't know if that's a style choice or if that's a thing. That was about... a style in the in the early 90s, for sure, and late 90s. Because I felt like they were trying to make a point about his dad not really paying attention to him. Like, oh, I'll just buy these bigger clothes and they'll just fit him because they're bigger I don't think that's is. anything to do with his dad. Because, <laughs> I mean, especially JD's a teenager at that point, so he's his dad's not buying him clothes. His dad's not uh, caring what he's wearing. Teenage boys do not like buying their own clothes. But, I mean, if you if you have a specific style you, then you don't want like basic clothes like you want to be the rebel yeah you're gonna buy your own things oh so speaking of interesting fashion choices i really want to know what you think about veronica's monocle in my head i was like <laughs> that's that's so fucking crazy that i can't even like write this down like i can't fathom it's it. such a weird choice i've never seen a monocle used for like a teenage girl in a movie ever in the 80s you had weird shit happen like that like there's there's a i want to say it's pretty in pink or 16 candles there's a dude in a full-on jordy laforge visor like this is like he looks like fucking cyclops from the x-men and this is shown on screen as if it's a regular thing and my brother who grew up in the 80s he was 18 when i was born was like yeah people used to do shit like that and i'm like that baffles me i guess we have the same thing you know now like there's kids that wear wolf tails where i live and that's a popular thing so i guess we can't speak too much about thing? um there, <laughs> those kid, it, at my school those kids hung out with the kids in the trench coats and no one talked to them oh the news <laughs> did a story on them here they called themselves the wolf pack and they were like they were like sort of emo kids who were trying to be anti-suicide yeah. or something and i don't oh, know Oh, that's interesting yeah like I, i've seen a few of them at walmart and stuff you'll be in line there'll be like a a like girl in a wolf tail <laughs> and at first i thought they were furries and i was like oh man furries are out here in public now just showing <laughs> off and so like i saw that and didn't know what to think of it then i saw the news report about it and it was like a whole big deal but it just looks weirder to me for someone to have a visor on because i'm not growing up in a time where that sort of shit could happen i just the monocle is just a, it's such an interesting choice because like I don't know. I associate monocles with like Scrooge McDuck, like, <laughs> and so it just it's 
It makes her seem so much older, which is maybe what she's going for. She desperately does not want to be a teenager. Like, But I mean, when you're a teenager, that's what you don't want to be. Like, I didn't want to be a teenager. Right. So it's just, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's funny you say that because Winona Ryder is so young looking. Like there's, there's of course, the scenes where she's with the Heathers, she has on more makeup and it's harder to tell. But when she's in her bedroom and some scenes like at night, she looks like a straight up 14 year old. Like she looks way younger. And I've just seen oh, her. See, she recently. doesn't look that young to me because she, she definitely looks more like 18, 19 to me. So she looks younger in Beetlejuice for sure, which makes me question how like the whole Michael Keaton and her romance thing was supposed to work. Cause she, he's like totally an adult because you know, Michael Keaton's like 64 right now. And so um, he's older than she is. And um, obviously, well, yeah, obviously, obviously, but she aged really well too. Like she, like in Stranger Things, she still looks not young, but she's she well, looks. I would say interestingly in Stranger Things, she they made her look really worn down in season one, but in season two they let her get kind of pretty again. They're doing that in this movie too. I think that they they wanted her to have the makeup on at school, like the harder makeup, because it made her look a little older. And that's what that's what a lot of women in school went for was that, you know, they did their makeup really well if they could do makeup. And then whenever she's at home by herself, she's she's not like that. And I think they mm-hmm. were trying to kind of make her look a little more innocent, especially when she's not with JD, because there's a lot of like self-reflection at that point and journal writing and stuff like that. Um, and her parents are kind of, uh, they're very concerned about her. Like they're concerned about her well-being after the suicide, the quote unquote okay. suicide start. <laughs> so parents and adults in this movie, don't we've talked a lot about JD's parent, dad, obviously. Yeah. Um, what do you think about like the parents' priorities in this movie? Like to me, they're all supremely fucked up. Like Veronica's parents are completely clueless most of the time. They don't pay attention to her until JD tells them that she's about to commit suicide. Yeah. And even then, they don't stop her from running off to her room. And then you've got the principal and all the school board members. Smoking all complain. the time. <laughs> well, yes, in the teacher's lounge. The teacher's lounge scenes remind me of, like, evil, like, villain council meetings. The way that they're framed in the movie. Well, but you've I wanna... got the one guy going, I won't, if it's too bad Heather wasn't a cheerleader, I would have gone half a day for a cheerleader. I wanted to actually ask you about that school board meeting or a school staff meeting in the room and that smoke. Cause I was like, you can't take smoke at all. Like I was like, Laura couldn't work at this school. She would like die because. <laughs> well, this it, was, I mean, this was eighties when that was not like expressly forbidden everywhere. I, I would have a problem with that. So that like, but that I mean, always me, just, shocks me. That just, to me, that just shows like, it's it's like a, it's a kind of like a leisure activity for them and they're just smoking talking about these dead teenagers and whether or not they should cancel school or make kids stay in school so it's just it to me it's just it just shows like they have really messed up priorities like they're not taking it very seriously they're not they're not that upset about it they're just treating it as more of an inconvenience than anything when the first student dies and heather chandler dies i could see them being like let's not really stop everything for this let's like use this as time to reflect but then two more kids die and they're kind of just like, they seem more annoyed by it than they seem to be worried or upset. And granted, the two kids that died after Heather Chandler were dickheads. And so I'm not saying they deserve to die, but I'm saying that like, if, right, if you're we, like, you'll notice like when the police officers find a uh, curtain Ram, uh, they're upset because they're football players, but then they're like, Oh, well, football season's over. <laughs> So they're fine with it. <laughs> like, 
I that that feels like a very Texas thing to have happen. Um, I I think that like the movie kind of makes a point. Um, it's like GTA. Like it makes a point of showing that nothing in this town is good. There's things that are worse than other things, and nobody's exactly a good person. Like maybe Betty comes off as being like good because you don't see very much of what Betty's doing. But I'm but Betty bet- also has no personality. Exactly, and one of the best you followed Betty for long enough, and I think that that's I think that's why Betty and Barb and characters like that are so popular is because there's such a mystery around them. They're projections of what the audience wants them to be. Because exactly, there they're Bella aren't Swan. any defining details. I don't know. I, I think that the I, I didn't notice the parents being too terrible actively. They were just kind of all well, neglected. See, it's, they're extremely like ridiculously out of touch. Like they don't in all the scenes that Veronica is like eating dinner with them. Like they're not actually listening to what she's saying. They just have like their routine that they go through of like what to say. I mean, they don't actually pay attention to what she says to them. I don't know. Like, there's there's moments where her dad, especially, and her mom both. Okay, so like, there's a there's a really good exchange in the movie uh, later in the movie where she's talking to them about teenagers when they're watching the suicide things on the news, and so right. she's like, but even then, in that scene, they're not taking away what she's trying to get them to understand. Her dad I just guess, goes off about I don't patronize bunny rabbit, and that's not at all what she was going on about. I wrote that whole exchange down. She was like, all we want is to be treated like human beings, not to be experimented on like guinea pigs or patronized like bunny rabbits. And then her dad's like, I don't patronize bunny rabbits. And I took that less as him not listening and more as him being a smart ass because like that comment doesn't make any sense. Oh, so I know throughout the whole movie, I take his her parents as not paying attention to what she's actually saying to them. Like her mom responds, you know, and that she is being treated like a human being. That's why she doesn't like it. But to me, that's not them addressing her concerns. Like, and her dad just doesn't even offer up a real response to anything. Well, I think the mom's response is the, is, is real, but I think it's not the response that's like nice or the way you would want to handle that. It's more like a sort of like you're being treated like human beings and it's because of that that you're not being treated like children anymore and you don't like it. It's it's that sort of thing. and Right, but to me, like, it's... At that point, to me, it's too little too late for them to be interacting with Veronica because throughout the rest of the movie, they just... They aren't there for her. Like, whenever... Like, they're around, but they're not present. And so at that point, it's it's kind of a weird moment for her mom to actually kind of be a mom. And even then, she kind of forgets about it a couple minutes later when Veronica goes off to her room. <laughs> I think that in a lot of ways, the 70s and 80s are that transitional period where we were kind of finding our feet with violence and comedy and just darker things. You can even see it in like especially longer running series there's a darkness in the 80s james bond movies that just was not there previously like there's you know he's choking women and shit and um well there's a lot to that though with each new bond actor brings a new era of bond and a new kind of aesthetic and way of telling the story and with like roger moore in the 70s it was a lot about camp i mean that's when you had like moonraker and stuff so and that's a lot yeah. of like James Bond is is a lot of camp, so it, it is good to embrace that. But Timothy Dalton, they tried to go a darker route, didn't really take. So that's why when you get back to like Pierce Brosnan, it's a little it's a lot campier. 
And then they were finally able to kind of do that full grit once they got Daniel Craig. But I feel like this movie, like, is so dark. Like, it's like darkest timeline Mean Girls. And it's it's refreshing, even though it's an older movie, it's refreshing to see that this sort of thing happened at one point. And I feel like we see things today that happen and we make movies that are dark. And, um, like, people will say that, like, oh, this movie is really dark or it's really edgy. But, like, it's weird that, to me, the edgier movies were coming out in the late 80s. Like, there's things that happen in, in 80s movies, throughout the whole 80s, that wouldn't fly in a movie today made about the same subject matter. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that blowjob scene in Ghostbusters, which I always forget it's there. And then when I watch it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's in this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, and, this movie has a blowjob scene. And, like... Where? Heather Chandler gives a blowjob to a guy at the at the Remington party. I must have missed it. I don't know how I didn't see that. They, I mean, they don't, like, show it, show it, but, like, she leans over into his lap, and then afterwards they show her gargling water. <laughs> oh, I did not catch that. Um, right, so speaking of, I have some notes that I feel like we should discuss. <laughs> um, do you remember the scene um, at Heather Chandler's funeral where everyone is having an inner monologue over her casket. <laughs> oh man. It's funny. I didn't write any notes about that, but that's some pretty cool stuff. Like uh, Heather Duke praying that she's glad that Heather Chandler is dead. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Heather, Heather Duke's like little inner monologue about how she's prayed for this so many times, but she always felt really bad about it. But yet she knew God was really listening to her because he let it happen anyway. He just took her out. And yeah. Then, and then one, and then Veronica wondering if what her thoughts are sounding bitchy. <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene later on at the second at the third funeral where heather chandler comes back as like a dream sequence thing and she's speaking to well, no Mark. that whole funeral is a dream sequence yeah 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 like it took me a second to figure that out because it's a it's a funeral for heather duke but it doesn't ever happen right but after that scene happens where it looks like she could have died they don't show her again to almost the end of the movie so in your head it looks like she could have really died right but i mean this movie does play with the dream sequence a lot like it opens with the dream sequence yeah so and and i think that's kind of a neat thing to do because what it throws you off balance because like i said when he pulls the gun out jd and shoots those shoots at the football players in my head i was like this is just one of those cutaway gags where they're going to cut away and come back and he'll be looking at them thinking about doing this but it wasn't that he just had blanks in the gun and so no, that's just that's the first of many clues that jd is not okay yeah just like when he shows up in veronica's bedroom like <laughs> what is with boys in the, <laughs> the 80s and 90s and ladders in girls bedrooms like boys were just coming but into the fact your bedroom that she is not bothered by that really upsets me <laughs> like he just shows up in your bedroom uninvited and he, he never told him where you lived like so he had to like follow you home i mean that wasn't okay and like did they show how he got there like he obviously must have come to the window. Like I don't think he went to her. Yeah, and they they show him come through the window. Like they show that, but like oh okay, it's it's still to me it's extremely problematic. Like Veronica, use your brain here. We it's been established that you have one. <laughs> That's one of those things that when you're a teenager, you have to fight with your brain versus your hormones versus your wanting to be cool. There's a certain thing where you're like, well, if I react badly to this, he could go to school and tell everybody how much of a bitch I am or how stupid I am or how, you know, I can't take a joke or whatever. And so like you try to balance all those things. And I think that's kind of what, what explains her sort of 
complacency with it but i don't know if that can be explained after the fact where he pretended to shoot two students because in my head that wasn't pressed hard enough like that should have been punished harder right and she she was there she saw him pull the gun on them and it's like that's all kind of technically in the same day so (laughs) how is that not like a huge waving red neon flag i think that it's a lot of it is in the context of a black comedy um these these sort of movies and it's he's new he's not one of the guys like she's grown up with clearly kind of the fresh blood (laughs) but i i think that the black comedy sort of genre is a weird one because it's really hard to find ones that are actually like on point like this is the rare example of black comedy that worked because a lot of times like a black comedy turns out to be just like a sort of dry comedy with like weird gore in it. Uh, no, I think I think that just depends on the type of black comedy that it is, that it is. Like you've got some that are about like violent things, but then you've also got ones that are more about like more realistic things. Like and I I would say like Heather's gets pretty violent at times, but it is about some very real issues. Well, Heather's is violent, but it uses its violence in kind of a realistic issue way. The movie is definitely funny without the violence. And um, I think that it I think it draws a line between the seriousness of the violent acts themselves versus the aftermath of them and the lead up being funny. Like you said, when the cops find that dead, uh, the uh, ram and Kurt in the woods, they're worried about the football team. Like that was the joke, like the punchline of a joke that really wasn't the death necessarily. To an extent. But I mean, before that, though, you have the very like Scooby-Doo chase, chase through the woods. The like, chase, where the they're chase going back and could forth. Be, it could be read as funny, but it also it could be read as kind of. To me, I read it as, as both because it's cut like a Scooby-Doo chase where they're running through like the same parts of the woods back and forth. Scooby-Doo but it's chase. obviously very clearly a menacing thing because JD's chasing this guy who's completely defenseless with a gun. Yeah, that was when she should have been like, OK, I got to call the cops. Or get out of here. Right. And instead, she just goes to her car and makes out with him as a cover. Like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. The cops come kind of come after them, which, you know, that was the other thing was that they they come after them and they just kind of like, let's make out and this will be our cover. And she's just OK with it after that. Like, you know, when the first death right. happened, it was an accident. She could blame herself for that. But the second one, he totally lied to her and she kind of does bring it up. She goes, well, you told me this story. And he just kind of like you know, blows her off. Like her concerns aren't really his worry at that point. She understands that he's dangerous, but at that point she's choosing not to care. It's a, it's a willful ignorance. Like she doesn't want to believe that he's a terrible person. For all of his, these other guys are bad guys talk, his actions towards her, um, even his claim that he loves her, but then he comes over to kill her at one point were like, you know, you don't see how you're worse than these people in some ways or that you're just uh, straight up crazy. Yeah. No, JD is, is a huge, huge problem. Yeah. He's definitely not a nice guy. And, and I, I do, I appreciate the detail in the movie too, because there's, um, there's some signs in the hallways and stuff near the end of the movie. After all these quote unquote suicides happen. Like one of them says, uh, the new happiness, and you can tell it's like, oh, some student group made this sign to kind of be like or, a, or the hippie teacher. <laughs> yeah. The hippie teacher who was like, what does she want to do? Like some kind of 
like a, she I don't wanted know what... to do like this is another thing that Mean Girls kind of took from Heather's was the big feel good group therapy <laughs> that's session. right oh my god like to me that's the best part of Mean Girls it's nearer to the end um, a lot of the adult reactions to stuff was great and that's that's the, that's one thing this movie is missing the adults seem more incompetent and outside of everything but i think that's purposeful like that's it's it's the kids they don't feel like they're being paid attention to like they feel like the adults are kind of against them to some degree and so that's kind of what it's about that's kind of what jd's like little plan ends up being is he's going to blow the whole school up and then pretend like it was this giant suicide from all the kids at the school or to teach society a lesson. Like, I guess he figures right. that this will be like a turning point. And like at one point when he first started, it was this idea he was going to get students to sign for this band that they made up for the movie who sings about suicide to come to the school. And I thought that that was. But I mean, that's a, that's itself and it is a joke in the movie. The the big fun teenage suicide don't do it. Like is that problems can be solved by a, a feel good song or that. Suicide being a trend is is a big thing in the movie as well. Yeah, I feel like that people people think that things that like people talk about suicide in a way, even today, that it's not taken seriously, quote unquote. And so I think that that's what they were kind of playing with is that like all the cool kids are dying at the school and they're 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 committing suicide. There's the line that Veronica, um, when she's talking to Heather McNamara after Heather almost kills herself in the bathroom, she goes, "If everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do it too?" And Heather just kind of thinks for a second. And she goes, "Yeah, I probably would." Oh no, I, I thought you were talking about a different line. There's a line where they're talking about how I think that's Veronica at home is talking about how after. Heather Chandler committed suicide, she became deep. And after Kurt and um, Ram committed right. suicide, they became like interesting and, and sensitive. And, and it was this Yeah, different... that's, that's Veronica writing in her journal. And she just she talks about how suicide has kind of transformed these people that really weren't more than what they were portrayed as in this movie as better people. And I think that, that can be said about death too. Like when a, when a person dies, um, a celebrity or something people rush to kind of make them into a better person than they were um there, there's that aspect of it, and then there's also people rushing for the attention of it that they want to be like yes i was their friend i knew them like they touched my life in some way yeah and you see that with like heather duke going on like three different tv stations to talk about like sharing clothes with heather chandler and stuff like that and, and yeah people people uh people in this town just didn't care like there's an attention grab there's an interesting juxtaposition with it too because you've got martha who tries to commit suicide but doesn't and no one cares oh yeah no one is like oh my gosh how are you like i'm so sorry we weren't there for you it's you failed you weren't even cool enough to do it right (laughs) and we're just going to continue treating you like we always have i think that martha didn't try to commit suicide like, I, I know that this is, like, reading into it hard. I think Martha thought that if she tried to commit suicide and failed, that it would be, it was like a high-risk, high-reward game. Like, what if she dies or lives, people are going to pay her attention. Right. I, I think I think there's that, like, I think she, she did want to commit suicide. But, she, I mean, she also did pick a method that wasn't necessarily for Super sure going deadly, to kill her. Yeah. So, it was, she was hoping to either end it or get the attention. And it didn't work out either way. 
Yeah, and it was it was high risk, high reward, and the, the kind of both things happened. Like she didn't die, but she didn't get the 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 fame out of it. People who had died previous to her were sort of school celebrities. Like they were people that by them going down, you could kind of get on the edge of that and be sort of like, look at me, like I knew this person, I did this. But with her, you know, there was no there's no social um social currency that that knowing Martha was going to to give you. Now if she had really died, they probably would have tried to pretend that they were quote unquote, you know, not not the people who were bad to her. Uh, they'd be like, well, I wasn't the one who did this. I wasn't the one who did that. Um, you know, trying to sort of push other people into like, well, this person was way worse to her than I was. And I think they would have done that if she had actually, you know, succeeded. But since he didn't, there was no reason to pay her attention. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's a really interesting juxtaposition just when you have, you know, the popular kids who do commit suicide and how everyone just jumps to be part of the the mourning for it and the attention and then poor Martha. <laughs> um, people in the town were just so careless that they didn't really care that, you know, the Heathers had, or that Heather had died or that Kurt and Ram had died. They just cared about the attention because it passes so right. quickly. Like the school was back on its feet so fast and it's not football season, you know? Well, okay, so something else that I always find interesting about this movie is that this is one of the few movies that I can think of that it's not about eating disorders, but that portrays a character as having an eating disorder. And makes fun of it. Very actively. <laughs> they make fun of it, like... Well, they make fun of it, but they also address it as a problem. Like, when Heather Duke is, you know, forcing Veronica to help her puke, Heather Chandler and Heather McNamara are... I mean, they are making fun of her for it, but they're also saying that she shouldn't be doing it. But they're not stopping her either. So, <laughs> um, I can't think of a movie that portrays eating disorders either. To me, and especially just in, in this movie in particular, it's just it's an aspect of how toxic being one of the popular girls is. Like, you're you're doing insane things just to to keep your status. Well, yeah, it's 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 like it's not just that; it's that. No one is safe. Like you'd think, oh, when I get to be popular, I'll be safe. Like I won't be subject to these rules. But there's a whole new set of rules you have to follow to remain popular. And people are always right. looking to like unseat you from your position and stuff. Right. And to me, especially with Heather Duke and her being the green one with all the, the envy for Heather Chandler. Like, I think it's very apparent that's who she's emulating. Like throughout the movie, she goes through this transformation where she gradually looks more and more like Heather Chandler aside from having brown hair like but she even starts curling her hair and obviously she gets her scrunchie and like she starts wearing red the scrunchie was the dead giveaway right but I mean the scrunchie is an interesting thing because that's the that's like the totem like when Veronica snatches away at the end yeah it's like a crown she's robbing Heather Duke of her power <laughs> and the scrunchie was red too so it was like it was like the power color scrunchie that you know one of them right. had to have it's because once Heather Duke starts when she once she has the scrunchie, she starts wearing red, like she takes over Heather Chandler's spot completely. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Like I didn't notice the colors. I noticed the scrunchie because it was red and it was like it's red, but I didn't notice the colors in terms of character because 
I notice that sort of thing sometimes and I don't notice it other times. Like it's really apparent in some movies that colors are playing a huge role. I think it's super obvious in this one, like just because all their outfits are the same colors. I think that it threw me off in this because the colors aren't so like, especially on Veronica, her colors aren't so overtaking her outfit. Like the coat she wears is black and those leggings. I did notice the leggings because they were just so blue like I'm used to seeing black leggings. But, so. but I mean, that's that's Veronica kind of rebelling against being a Heather. Is she's wearing her color, but she's also wearing, wearing like more black. neutral, yeah. darker colors. To and which like JD, he only like wears black, and so it, to me, like colors play a huge role in like showing the personalities of the people. Like especially like Heather McNamara, she's yellow. Yellow's just kind of bland and passive. She's the Hufflepuff. <laughs> Pretty much. I think that JD, JD doesn't wear just black. Like, he has colors on, but they're very, like... But he's muted. always wearing more black than anything else. It's not just that. It's just, like, he has a green shirt on at one point. But the green he's wearing is, like, it's so dulled down with black that it might as well be black or gray. And Right. Everything he's wearing is just is a, is dark. And, and I think that, like, they, they do a lot of... He's got this very like sort of unassuming look to him, like the the dark clothes, the oversized clothing. Um, it seems like an effort to look like he doesn't care while, you know, obviously caring enough to make an effort to look like he doesn't, you know. And so well, and then you've got like Betty Finn, who wears like beige. Like, like that's literally how little personality she has is that she wears beige. I just I, I don't want to be like Chris Croker, but I think like, once you just leave Betty alone, like Betty's okay. Like just you're you're picking on that poor girl too much. <laughs> but no, I'm just I'm, I'm making a point. Like she's wearing beige. Martha wears beige too. Like and she wears some white to kind of, I think show that she's kind of like the one good character. But like doesn't Martha they have wear very on, nondescript colors. Doesn't Martha have on sort of like a pattern shirt at one point? Almost like what a she, toddler would she wear. Wears a, she wears a big fun shirt, like the song that's in the in the movie. That's right, big fun. Martha was one of those characters who almost felt like a. She was like a plot device too, but she, like you said, she's the foil for the Heather's. But Martha really only shows up in the beginning, the middle, and the end of the movie. She's not throughout very much. Like I don't remember seeing her at the funeral scenes at all. Maybe she's there, but I just didn't notice. Um, she definitely doesn't get those inner monologue moments like everybody else. Well, I mean, you could you could argue that her her suicide note is to an extent. Yeah, the suicide note, I guess, is an inner monologue, but it 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 comes apart from everybody else's because most people get inner monologues at a right. certain point together, except for Veronica, who gets them when she writes in her journal. I mean, that's Veronica's the main character. You're gonna have more voiceover from her than anyone else. Well, obviously, I'm just saying that, that like. Like, Martha is always set apart from other characters. She sits alone. Right. She's, you know, well, that's, alone. Well, that's, that's exactly it. Like, she doesn't fit in. I mean... Like, it, it's, just, it's very obvious. In my cast list, I don't have Martha on there. I just... I did the Heathers and Veronica and Christian Slater and Betty and Ram and Kurt. And because they were, like, the ones that I was most fixated on as people throughout the movie. I did... I did forget to mention another thing about Betty and Veronica. What's that? <laughs> uh, their last names are Finn, Finn and Sawyer after Tom Sawyer wow. and Finn. I didn't <laughs> see that. Because I didn't know Veronica's last name. Like in my head, I just didn't write it down. Like I wrote Arousa's last name, but not hers. And and JD's name is Jason Dean, right? Yeah. Okay. 
because I, I I think they were trying to make like a James Dean joke at first. I thought it was what they were going for, like a, a rebel sort of thing. And I was like, oh, it's Jason Dean. I may, maybe it's like half of a joke. I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, you also have to think like '80s was was John Hughes land, like for teen movies, like, and this is kind of the antithesis of that. Like, this is like the anti Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's a little intentional too, because the John Hughes movies they're not squeaky clean. But they are they are a very polished sort of message to teenagers, except for that shit that happened in Pretty in Pink. That was a disaster. But most of the other movies are pretty like on message for teenagers. And it's like that GTA take on the world where everything is just terrible. Like it's a satire of everything being bad. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. there there are no good guys, basically. It's Game of Thrones. Right. <laughs> I mean, your <laughs> your main character, she's kind of a terrible person. I think there was a point where you could have legitimately terrible people lead a movie, and it was seen as okay. But, I mean, you also don't see that with women, especially on screen, especially, like, in the 80s. Like, female characters kind of had to be likable for the most part, especially if they are going to lead the movie. Even now, you can have a bad woman lead a movie. But there was a point where, like, in the 90s, sort of, people had to be better. I don't know what it was. It was just like this kind of people had to be a better aesthetic about it. I kind of like a bad person leading something. A person, my only problem is that she seems to think she's good though. I would like it better if she knew she was bad and just. Well, I think, I think it's interesting that she thinks she's good, um, but she is being terrible. (laughs) Like that's just, that's me. That's a very interesting thing. Cause I think a lot of people, um, think that they're good people and not that they not that everyone is terrible but some people really are not (laughs) but they continue to do things like they're the moral authority or that they're making things better for the people when they're making things worse it's realistic though that a person who is like her would think she's a good person because she rationalizes a lot of things the same way jd rationalizes that the other students are bad right i mean he's the good one Veronica is, she's hanging out with the Heathers every day. Like, obviously some of that's going to rub off on her, but it's also showing her like, okay, I'm not like that. So I'm not terrible. I'm actually a good person. (laughs) If every, you know, other time they do a bad thing, she stays out of it. She's like, well, I didn't do that this time. Like I, I convince myself I'm good because I, I don't always act on the bad impulses or the bad um, things that my crowd's doing. And I know it's wrong. So I'm kind of good. And I think that JD kind of pushes her over that edge because he's he he rationalizes doing bad things for the greater good, but then doesn't actually do the greater good part. He just right. kind of has this agenda. He he kind of convinces her that she's doing something to make things better for everybody. When if she yeah. kind of really thought about it, <laughs> like it's not like there's there's no scenario where doing a violent prank to someone is going to fix something. I mean, if if it was just a violent prank, it would be one thing. Like if he had just shot pellets at those two boys in the woods or knocked them out and laid them down like that and made everybody think that they were together, it would have been one thing. It'd be a different movie. It'd still be cruel and it would be like, you know, kind of homophobic for the town to react the way that they probably would react, but it wouldn't be the same as him killing them. Well, it's JD doesn't really see anyone else as a person they're all kind of tools for him to use. Um, like even Veronica, once when, when she's not his girlfriend, he plans to use her. He wants to kill her. 
and make her suicide yeah. part of his, his mission. Like, and he even says that, you know, I, I, I did love you, you know, and it's like, no, you really didn't. Like, it doesn't seem at all like you understand emotions in general. I like, I, I mean, I think that he thought that he loved her, but I think he doesn't really know what that means. I think he was fixated on her because she participated in, in some of his stuff and they did get along on a certain wavelength. And I think he was like, oh, this must be what it's like to be in love. Yeah, I don't think he understands what emotions are, honestly. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, he's he's got problems. Like, a, <laughs> I mean, name an honest emotion that you felt like J.D. showed. Like, does he ever Anger. seem angry to you? When? He does. Um, Not for legitimate reasons, but, like, when he feels that he's, when he's not getting his way, that's when he's angry. It's it's a very petulant, like, kind of bratty anger, but it, it's, it's him being angry. I, I feel like anger for him shows in the way that, like, Sociopath it's a very, kind of it's show entitlement. Anger. Yeah, it, it's like they, it's like a narcissist or sociopath sort of anger where they, they kind of act out because people aren't falling in line with them. But like, even when at the end of the movie she tries to come after him, he's not angry when she pulls a gun on him. He's not angry when she shoots him. Like her, his reaction to being shot by her is just that. Oh, you got the best of me. He's actually kind of proud. It feels like almost like some sort of Sith Lord relationship where he's like, oh, you bested me. Now you're the master. And he just goes and like blows himself up, which is the craziest thing. I'm glad we had the balls to actually go through with him blowing himself up because in my head, I thought she was going to talk him out of it or that there would be some sort of like. No, she talked no, him I into it. it. <laughs> this is actually the neutered ending of the movie. Um, they had a different ending originally planned that they thought was too dark. It was Veronica killing herself. Exploding really? with her, yeah, with her putting on the vest and exploding. I actually thought at one point she was going to walk over there and like hug him, and they were going to blow, blow up together. But I, I'm kind of glad that they didn't back out of the the him blowing himself up somehow, and that I, I feel like him blowing himself up was like you said she talked him into it. I feel like that was because she realized he he's not really made to function like something broke inside of JD at some point, whether he was born this way or his mother's death or just over time being chipped away at something broke inside that person. And they weren't going to function correctly in society. Um, it's kind of like, uh, what's his face from Watchmen Rorschach, like Rorschach is not going to function in society. Like that character can't stick around because they're too broken to work. And they were like in certain characters, like JD might have worked in certain environments for a while. Like, you know, maybe if you let JD loose in a country that's at war, he can do that. But you can't let JD loose in an office building or a neighborhood because he starts to just do things to people. Right. The scene where uh, JD and Veronica kill Kurt and Ram. What did you think about them leaving? those weird mementos at the scene. My favorite part about that whole thing is that they, they talk about like this, I think it was sparkling water and they're like, the mineral water. Think, it was mineral water. And you know, they're like, you know, when they see this, they're going to know they're gay. And it's like, Oh, that's a weird well, thing. Veronica's like, are you sure? And, and, and the cops take it out. Like, and they yeah. go, oh, they're like, look at this. And it's like, Oh man, like we know exactly what's going on. And I, I, I kind of love those sort of jokes where the joke is very like, it, it counts on everybody being very much like in the same position. And it's that joke's very eighties because even bottled water back then was seen as weird. Like I remember in my lifetime, a point when bottled water was a thing you just didn't buy. 
I like how she's like the stuff is just like just left in a bag next to their bodies, and like it's supposed to be proof that they're gay. <laughs> it's like a picnic, isn't it? No, he just puts it in like a plastic gift bag and just leaves it next to the bodies. <laughs> That's really funny. Like in my head, I and, thought it was like a picnic bag or something they were taking. Like, no, he didn't like. The... They didn't like lay it out or anything. It's just like they just left it in the bag, just a whole bunch of That's random really stuff. <laughs> That's really good. And like, then it's also funny to me. Like I have to wonder where did JD get the porn mag. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think. Back like, he then, talks you about could... how they're in conservative Ohio, like, and that people who would have it would be gay. Like, so where does he know where to find it, or hmm. like get it without having someone like raise questions about him or something? I don't doubt right. he would steal it though. Right. It's like I don't think that he had it like laying around. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I just keep just... gay porn to plant on people sometimes. It, that was like a really a weird thing, like. I mean, I could see, like, he could have, like, shoplifted it or something, like, if he knew where to find it. But I'm like, you're, you're making a point about how you live in such a conservative, like, oppressive place. I can't imagine that they would have that. <laughs> it's such a weird thing that you found. Like, I didn't even connect that because in my head, the bottle of water was way more weird. Like, that they were, like, it was like a glass bottle of water, was it? It's like a glass mineral bottle. Oh, um, I don't remember. But that that whole scene to me was was cool, and and the the funeral that followed it was funny too because the dad's like, "I love my dead gay son," and like <laughs> like going on, and it's a double funeral. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, you don't do that for two people that aren't related. Like, that's just weird. Well, no, it's because everyone was acknowledging that they were lovers. <laughs> oh, huh, I guess that's right. I just thought to myself, like, are you trying to save money or some shit? Like, this is weird. Like, I don't want my <laughs> no, funeral was, with somebody else. It was they wanted to be together, so they had the funeral was together. <laughs> it's like a Romeo and Juliet thing. <laughs> kind of. Okay. I have a note that I appreciate that, like, the movie doesn't shame Veronica for having sex with JD right away. I mean, you could say in the grand scheme of things it does, but I don't, I don't think, I don't read it that way. But back then, were they shaming people for having sex in movies? Like, oh no. Well, think, I mean, think about think about a lot of teen movies, like the way that they portray sex, like especially for women. Like it's always the girl is like, no, no, not yet. Let's wait till it's special. That just depends on the movie type, though. I feel like some movies they just people hook up and it's fine. But I also feel like that there was like you know horror movies used to kill people for having sex. Like if you had sex in right. a horror movie, you're gonna die. But I mean, and, it still happens. But yeah, um, but but I think that I think it just depends on the type of movie. But it it definitely is. You well, know, and usually in a lot of movies, if a woman has has like sex with someone, like especially if it's before they're in a committed relationship, she's punished for it in some way. You said that you don't see it that way, but I I, I think that kind of the point, like, is there's like a a bit of JD like seducing her kind of like into doing these things. Because See, a lot of it I is... I read they, it as she seduced him because he talks about how he never played strip co- croquet before. Well, no one should ever do that. <laughs> to me, it seems it's very much her choice. Because she makes a concerted you know, effort at that party to not sleep with that one guy. And then she very specifically chooses to sleep with JD right after that. A better sort of uh, measurement of how, like, quote-unquote progressive the movie is... Is not that she just doesn't have any consequence for it, but that when it happens, it's not the main focus of the movie. Normally right. talks about it. She doesn't really go to her friends and tell them, and they're not like, "Oh, you did that." Like it's a very sort of like normal thing, 
And yeah, it's not a big deal, but it's also, I mean, that's and it's not a big deal because it doesn't have any negative consequences for her right away. Like, yeah, she ends up in a relationship with him, and things are for the most part going smoothly until people die. It's not just that, like, like you said, she ends up in a relationship with him, which is what usually people will use as like a a sort of like warning is that, well, if a boy sleeps with you, he won't want to date you afterwards. Like, no, why would that be the case? Like, that's not how that works, you know, all the time. And so like, it's not that the movie is afraid to show sex in a bad light because they, they have, you know, what's obviously like date rape and they have other things happening in the movie that are definitely like cautionary about this or, or showing bad things that can happen which, you know, rape is not sex, but they're showing a bad thing that can happen to a person in this situation. And also no one rescues them from it. It just happens. And so, like, right. they're not afraid to show it, but they definitely make a conscious effort. Uh, maybe it's just that they're trying to give their, like, their female character agency. Like, I don't know if it was an intentional thing, but a lot of times in the 80s and 90s and e- even now, you have female leads that don't have any real... Um, kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they don't have any real drive. Like they're not they're not driving the plot, and they don't they just usually react have a things. purpose other than being a part of the story as the girlfriend or the wife, or it's just kind of a sidekick. Well, even even if they're the lead of the movie, it's more that like their purpose kind of comes from the male character and they don't make any right. active decisions. Like even though she's following JD into these situations, she makes active decisions too. And then she makes the final active decision to push him away because this movie could have been another movie. It could have been a reform movie where she like teaches him how to be good or something. And it wasn't that. And that that's, that's kind of, that's kind of a better tale to tell people because I kind of get tired of this whole idea that if you find a bad guy, all you have to do is love him you and he'll just become him. right again. Yeah. It's like, no, if your boyfriend's murdering people for fun because he thinks he's the moral authority, maybe leave that motherfucker alone or let him blow himself up or talk him into it. Even in like John Hughes movies, like sex is kind of a, it's a big thing that's kind of looming that everyone is thinking about. And sometimes it's it's kind of shown, but it's usually just like it's kind of an entity <laughs> that everyone is thinking or talking about. And there's a lot of consequences around it. They they treat it like it's like some kind of like Lovecraftian horror monster where no one can really see it. With, and they can't describe what it is, but it's like it's there and it's affecting the world. And Well, in a, in a lot of teen movies, it's what drives the whole teen movie. Yeah, it, it, it is literally the MacGuffin in the movie is someone trying to get sex and they, they got to go through all these things to get it. Even ultimately, like, J.D. and Veronica don't end up together. I mean, he's he's dead. <laughs> like, so it's not one where she... It's not like a standard movie where people get together by the end and stay together. In a way, you said that they were going to have her kill herself, too? Or was he going to not die? Well, it was... She was going to kill herself, and she would see everybody in heaven at a prom. Um, it's based off of the one thing that he says where the only place people get along is in heaven. Yeah, they were going to do, like, a heaven prom. I think that that actually is a kind of neat ending for that, but I also don't like that she had to die to do it. I think um, it would have been way too high concept, and I, to me, I think it kind of would have ruined some of the movie for me. I feel like that it'd be a neat ending in another movie, but I feel like you're right. It would ruin it would ruin what was going on because the movie really tries its hardest to paint this picture of her versus him later in the movie, 
there's there was a real fear I had that she was going to die, not because he killed her and like bested her, but because she chose to kill herself with him. And I thought that would just ruin the whole thing for me, like because I felt like she learned that she wasn't like him and and kind of stood up against him. And for her to go back on that and be like, well, I have to go with him now because we're meant to be together was just it would have it would have kind of sold the whole movie for me. Mm hmm. So you wanted to speak about the actual musical, you said? Uh, yes, that, that was my next set of notes. <laughs> so I actually hadn't seen the musical up until this weekend. I decided to watch it. Oh, you did? Um, yeah, I had been kind of nervous about watching it just because I didn't know if it would be good and I didn't want it to kind of tarnish my love of the movie because um, it was it was an off-Broadway debut it is on YouTube. There is an official version and there's like a, a smaller theater company's version as well. I highly recommend the legit version, which isn't really legit because it's someone filming it in the theater with their phone. But I recommend <laughs> like the real theater company's version over like the smaller companies just because the voice talent is so much better. <laughs> like it, it's I mean, that's what happens like when you have like Broadway actors versus local regional actors. It was technically off-Broadway, so it doesn't have, like, the huge production value. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have better costumes as well, since it doesn't have, like, much of a stage setup. It's just they've got some pretty good costumes. And it portrays Veronica in a much better light. In the musical, she starts off as unpopular, and she does a favor for the Heathers, which gets her into their good graces, and then rises her up. But they do change some other stuff about Veronica. Like, they change, they get rid of Betty Finn altogether, um, her former best friend is actually Martha and they make Veronica poor which is interesting to me because in the movie she's definitely rich (laughs) I could see how that would go either way I think that having her be rich makes it more believable that she fits in with them as a person because I I feel like if if she had just been like poor in the movie it would be like she's kind of like their pet like they're just taking an interest in this other person because she's amusing to them right but like that's why I said it's interesting in the in the musical that they do make that choice because again it's another thing that makes her kind of the underdog and more sympathetic because there's some points where like people make fun of her for being white trash which was a a weird inclusion I thought like I was like you could just have her be poor maybe don't call her white trash but (laughs) like like, she doesn't ever seem trashy at all so it's really weird <laughs> white trash is like the one racial slur you can just throw at somebody and they won't even defend themselves they're just like appalled and taken aback and so i think that that's why they use it a lot in things where people are poor but when in terms of the actors like not having to have a betty and a martha saves them having an extra actor which is not necessarily a money issue, but it's definitely a long That's a time issue, time. and that's yeah, a relationship. A and and I, I think that that could have helped the movie if they had just combined Betty and Martha. And that would have made, that, that made the ending make more sense, too. Because I didn't know have. why she didn't go be with Betty at the end. It, that made more sense <laughs> to me. Like I said, it's weird. Betty just kind of disappears. I still think, like, I'm not just being obsessed with Betty. I just feel like if they had there's there's like you said there's kind of like a language to movies and a contract you make and to me the contract seemed off when they didn't fulfill it by saying okay you go back to betty now because she was your friend originally it would have been fine if they had just like included betty in that exchange like hey martha hey betty 
yeah, to come watch movies. And, and, and it, it seems like even more of like a, a, a tease that they even have her and Betty kind of link up mid-movie and hang out for a bit and then not bring yeah. her back as that other person. I, I don't know. It just... It, it, the, those kind of I things mean, irk me because of like writing, like just me and like, I'm yeah, just like, there's, there's no follow through neat. on that, but it does. It makes sense to me, like world building wise that there are two different characters like that, but it just, it, yeah, there is no follow through at the end of the movie for it. I would have liked to see why Veronica was in the group to begin with. Like I want to, I wish I could have seen like that exchange, like the play you said did it not yeah. necessarily. I don't think that the, that the favor makes sense. But I think it's more like a status thing. Like I could see them seeing her being like, well, "Oh, she's the, also the way that wealthy. it works in the musical is that that um, the Heather's are in the bathroom, and so is Veronica, and they get caught by a teacher because the bell is wrong, and so Veronica forges a hall pass for all of them. I like that. I like that a lot. But uh, so the way that that works is she makes a deal with the Heather's, like, "I'll forge some stuff for you if you let me sit at your table at lunch. You don't even have to talk to me." Just let me sit there so people will leave me alone. <laughs> that's pretty like, neat. So that like she's like, picked on and stuff. And that's the deal they make. But then they end up kind of like taking her in and turning her into one of them. And I actually, I, I kind of like that a lot. Like I, I like that because one thing I liked was her forgery thing, because that skill is interesting and it's not really gendered either. It's very neutral. It just makes me think that it's like a very spy-like skill. It's not normal to see someone. Like, <laughs> people do it in movies, like, as a one-off gag. Like, they go, oh, I can forge this signature and do it. But she was constantly talking about forging notes and signatures and stuff. Yeah. And so another thing about the musical, I don't have a ton of notes about it, and I'll <laughs> explain why. But uh, <laughs> it does borrow from the original uh, movie screenplay a little bit in that Veronica is planning to die at the end of the musical. Like, she goes back to school with the intention of killing herself. And then and, decides not to. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say that she goes back and it just ends without telling what happened. Yeah, no, she has the intentions of planning to die, to, to stop JD and stuff. Like, planning, like basically like going to blow themselves, blow herself up with oh, him okay. so that he doesn't kill anybody else. And it's funny that, you know, we, we didn't really discuss the blowing up the school thing very much, but it's funny that I made that Fight Club reference earlier. And JD is very much Tyler Durden. He's just a real person. Like, he he speaks a lot like Tyler, but he doesn't do anything to make right the injustices. The same way Tyler, like, Tyler does things that he thinks are these grandiose plans that are going to make the justice right in the world. More so in the book than in the movie. The movie kind of drops a lot of that. But he's not really doing anything about the wrong he actually sees. And in fact, he kind of just takes the wrong that society does and encourages his own sort of brand of like toxic masculinity that like is like the through line of the movie is that he's doing other toxic things and it's just, they're done his way. So they're okay. The blowing up the building thing. I was just going to finish up about the musical. I didn't have a ton of notes on it because I wasn't very impressed by it. It started out okay, but I got really bored really fast. <laughs> by the end of Act 1, I was kind of tuning out and doing other things. The music was just kind of bland to me. There were a couple good songs, but nothing that like truly stood out to me. So that was a little disappointing, but it wasn't terrible. Like I think it did a decent kind of service to the movie the source material it just was kind of meh, meh i could see this one being a musical but it would have to have the right kind of song i think on this one it very much depends too on the casting 
Um, like I said, I saw a little bit of one from a, lo- a small theater company. And while they did a good job with like their sets and stuff, like I did not care for their casting of some of the characters, which took me out of it a lot. And at least in like the the bigger production, the off-Broadway one, it was... Well, I didn't care for the musical a lot. I did like the casting a lot. One of the things I did like about it was uh, they keep Heather Chandler around as kind of like, kind of a Tyler Durden, I guess, just someone that Veronica kind of talks to <laughs> as the story goes on. And she just reacts to things. And it's pretty funny. But I did have some notes about the TV show that's coming next year. Oh, is it a TV show? Okay, see, I heard remake and I thought... Well, actually, I didn't hear remake. Someone else told me that they're was, they were making a remake and I thought it was going to be a movie. There have been rumors about a sequel to Heather's since like the early 90s and it's gone through various incarnations. And Winona Ryder has like openly said she would love to do a sequel. But what they've actually done is it's going to be a TV show on uh, the Paramount Network, which is funny to me because that's going to be Spike TV soon. Like, that's what Spike TV is changing to. (laughs) And so if you think about Heather's being on Spike, it's pretty funny. But uh, there's not a lot of information out about it yet. But they have done a teaser trailer and they've released character images for some of the main characters. And so they've made some significant changes because this is going to be an anthology series, apparently, where each season is going to focus on some kind of different take on the Heathers. So the first season, Heather Chandler is apparently a plus size kind of queen bee with the crazy fashion taste. Like in the trailer, she's got like a fur coat and fishnets and stuff. Heather McNamara is black with some really cool winged liner and like a 60s like Beatles kind of haircut. Uh, Heather Duke is actually a genderqueer person. So I, I believe it's actually a guy, but they've all been referring to him as a genderqueer. So I could be wrong. And then Betty Finn is Asian and Veronica is blonde and pretty bland looking. <laughs> That's just weird to me that they're going to do an anthology series. Like, that's where I was like, whoa. Like, are they going to do, like, different realities, sort of? I mean, you'll be excited to know that Shannon Doherty is involved, so she's going to be in it in some capacity. I will look for it to see what they're doing. I'm I'm a little hesitant for this just because there isn't a lot out yet about it. Like, there's a really short teaser trailer, but it gives, like, absolutely nothing away. And, like, not in, like, a good way to me like you want to show a little bit of what you're gonna have but all it is is mostly it's the heather's like walking down the hall like a power walk and then it's got veronica saying fuck me gently with a chainsaw at least it's on paramount tv a channel that might have some kind of new brand that we don't know about i just want more information and then i would feel better about it (laughs) okay so at the very beginning of the movie um during the, I think it's the dream croquet sequence, Heather Chandler tells Heather McNamara that she had a brain tumor for breakfast or to have a brain tumor for breakfast. So that line is pretty mythic because the actress that played Heather Chandler actually died of a brain tumor. Really? Yeah, I believe she like... died in 2001 of a brain tumor, which is scary prophetic, but there's another one like that in this movie, which it's one of the kids at the funeral where he's praying that he doesn't kill himself and that actor actually killed himself about a year before that actress died isn't that so creepy yeah, yeah that's kind of creepy like they, they creeps me out a little bit that's not fun like there's <laughs> two really like foreshadowing lines for these characters for these same actors and especially so mm-hmm. close together in terms of them dying so close together in real life yeah that that part like i was looking it up to verify the, the dates and stuff and that was so 
weird that it was like within like about a year of each other. That was really weird. All right, and then so uh, here's your Tyler Durden connection. Oh man, I can't wait. <laughs> Brad Pitt actually auditioned for JD and was turned down. Ah, uh, so, yeah. You know that might sound weird, but Brad Pitt at this point in history, um, we have to all remember <laughs> that Brad Pitt did Cool World, and if you've ever seen Cool World, it's basically like shitty Roger Rabbit. It happens well after Roger Rabbit in terms of like placement. But it is so shitty looking and it's it's the same sort of thing. It's like a guy goes into a cartoon world and Brad Pitt is terrible in it. And so I could see them seeing Brad Pitt and versus Christian Slater and going, ah, we'll take this one, you know, even though Christian Slater is totally not Brad Pitt right now. Like in any well, way, and shape, at that form. time, too, Brad Pitt was also working up to kind of being a, a hunk. Um, his next movie ended up being Thelma and Louise, in which his character was also named J.D. It's funny. I always forget he's in that movie like there's there's always like these like crazy casting this could have been a thing that happened and sometimes i wish they happened but i honestly don't think i would have liked to have seen brad pitt do this because i don't like want actors that i really like being normal dudes being in crazy roles all the time either <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's just one of those funny casting stories like the role of veronica was originally intended for jennifer connelly Oh man, I would have liked that. I just, I just love Jennifer Connelly. Like, See, I, I can't, just, I can't picture her in this at all. Like, I just can't. I, See, I just, I can't. Maybe I haven't seen her anything super weird other than Labyrinth, in which she's like a child, so she's not the one being weird. So I just, I can't picture her as like as Veronica. Like, I can't see her kind of doing the snark. I can't see her doing all of that the way that Winona Ryder does. But it also could be that you've seen the movie so many times that like to picture other people in it just like bothers you. And like that, I, that is I know, true. But I also I I really love Winona Ryder, so that might also be it. I've seen her in other things here and there, but she's always been on point. Like she can carry her weight. I think she's incredibly underrated. Like it's it's unfortunate that her career never got as big as it could have, and I, some of that might have been due to some personal issues. I think that she has like one of those uh, Robert Downey Jr. careers where she was doing really well at one point and then just vanished due to personal reasons, and then kind of resurfaced. You know, not to the point that he yeah. has like he's become a megastar, but you know, she Stranger Things is is big news, and she does an amazing job in it. And people are always seem to be really shocked that she can do it. And I'm like, I, she's always been a decent actress. I've never I seen know, her like, just she's, like she's fuck always a done role a really on. good job. She just hasn't been around a lot. Like she did the her small cameos in the first Star Trek movie where she played Spock's mom. So it was a really small part, but it was recognizably Winona, and it was kind of her big return, I think, in a big movie. Do you want more trivia? Sure. <laughs> All right, so this movie actually led to Shannon Doherty getting cast in 90210. Really? Tori Spelling apparently saw her in it and gave like her father's company people like the movie and like you should hire this girl. All right, and so my final piece of trivia isn't—it's not really trivia, I guess, so much. But when this movie came out, it had a very similar um, kind of controversy around it, like 13 Reasons Why did. Uh, people thought that it glamorized suicide. I don't know. I, 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 um, I definitely see if this show comes to TV, there being some controversy. If they stick to what the movie was, if they stick to the whole suicide thing, if they stick to the whole killing the bullies thing, because that stuff just does not go over well with people today. Well, it, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how it 
just actually plays out. All right. So I think that we've done about all we can do on Heather's today. And thanks for joining us for our first episode. Um, uh, Laura, go ahead and tell us what our next movie is going to be for our next episode. All right. So our next episode is going to be pretty exciting because we're going to be watching the Christian Bale classic Newsies. Okay, see, I didn't even know what we were watching, so this is a surprise to me. I've never heard of this movie, so this is going to be interesting. Join us here every other week uh, for a new episode with a new movie and a new discussion. Um, You can find the podcast uh, online at Last Chance Theater uh, on... Sorry, wait, no, on Twitter we are... No, on Twitter, we're what? At uh, Last, Last Chance? Chance, THTR. Okay. And on, at, well, lastchancetheater.com is the website. And we're on Facebook. And we've, we've got all the social media handles. Well, just, you know, follow them for details. And uh, where can they find you at, Laura? You can find me on all the social media at LauraXJ. <laughs> it's pretty easy to find her. And I'm um, on Twitter at CTK86 and on Instagram at Lens of Justin. Now, very different things, but I don't know why I did that. That's, that's bad for branding. <laughs> that is bad for branding. Gotta fix that. Yeah, I know, I know. So, um, so join us next time. Not next week, but a week after that. From Last Chance Theater, I've been Justin. I'm Laura. And thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye.